1 Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Well, ladies, thank you for coming back after last week. You know, some people say that uh, the life of the man is easier, it's simpler. And there was kind of a list made up of uh, supporting, uh, of support for that kind of thing. So let me just read you a few of them and see if you agree. Why is life easier or simpler for men? And, and what the author gave was, number one, you don't have to drive to another gas station when the restroom is, is gross. Um, wrinkles add character. That's another reason why uh, life is simpler for men. Uh, new shoes don't cut, blister, or mangle your feet. Um, phone conversations are over in 30 seconds. If someone forgets to invite you, he or she can still be your friend. Um, the same hairstyle lasts for years, maybe decades. You can do your nails with a pocket knife. That was my favorite. And then you can wear shorts no matter how your legs look. The, um, you know, this idea of, of things being easier on men... Um, I, I think when you look at a text like this, you begin to see the, the serious responsibilities that men are given for marriage and in marriage. It's one verse, but it is a dense verse. Uh, remember where we are in this book of Peter? He, he begins the whole thing with where life should begin, which is worship. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that in his great mercy he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. So you, you, see, this, you see this call for praise, and, and then he immediately reminds us that because we've been saved, our relationship with God is different, and our relationship with one another is different. We're to love one another earnestly, and we're to grow up in salvation together. And then he says the relationship you have with the world is different. And the whole, the whole book kind of pivots on chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 where you find this, conduct yourselves in an honorable manner among the Gentiles so that though they speak evil of you, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So he's saying, he's saying to the people of God who have been saved, now rightly related to God, loving one another, here's how you handle the world. And so we looked at how we handle the government and how we respond to each other in employment, how we look at each other in relationships. And then, of course, he comes to marriage. And marriage is really, I think, the most fundamental relationship we have in this world. And, and it's, it's here that God has ordained our marriages, the Christian marriage, to display God's redemptive wisdom kind of as an alternative society. This is how we live now that we've been saved by God. And so we need his wisdom. And we saw last week how women were to yield, entrusting themselves to God, and now we see how men are to lead and love their wives. And in verse 7, you see two instructions. We'll look at both of them. Two instructions to be considerate and to be honoring to our wives. Two instructions. And then you see a warning in the text. Some want to see it as a motivation. I see it as both. It, it's warning, which, if heeded, is a good motivation. So if you look at the first instruction right there in the beginning, like, likewise, 
husbands. So, so he's saying, likewise, husbands. Now, notice it's not be subject to your wives. It's not submitting to your wives. It's likewise, husbands, live with your wives. Live with your wives. Now, it seems simple enough. You know, most of you occupy the same home. You have the same residence. You have the same children. You maybe share the same checkbook. But there's more going on here. This word is only used one time in the New Testament. It's used repeatedly in the Old Testament. And it has this understanding of, of living in close proximity, in, in intimacy, often used for sexual intimacy. In other words, husbands are charged to live with their wives in a way that's close, that is developing togetherness in unity in all facets of life, not just sexual, but spiritual and material and financial and emotional. You see this, this tense of the verb is in the present tense, which means you are to keep doing it. It's not, it's not around your anniversary or around her birthday, that, that it's a living with her, a developing unity throughout the year and throughout the marriage. And this unity is based upon, or at least as he explains it, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, literally in Greek, that's with knowledge, according to knowledge. That you're to live with your wife, if you're a Christian husband, you're to live with your wife with knowledge of who she is. Her fears, her loves, her hates, her desires, her dreams. You know, you, you're, you're tasked to know your wife, to know her sexually, to know her, to know her spiritually, to know her emotionally. Uh, not, not, not compartmentalized marriages, but we're called to know them according to knowledge. And not just knowledge of our wives, but knowledge of what God would have us do for our wives. It's according to knowledge. Now, <clears throat> this obviously doesn't come... Uh, immediately on the on the day of your wedding, um, it was probably a, a year into our marriage when I began to understand the vast gap of knowledge I had with Carol. Uh, there was a profound wall of ignorance that I had. I had grown up with a baby sister, and so I thought I knew women. And um, so, about a year into marriage, we were going out to dinner, and uh, she came downstairs and she says. Do you, do you like my outfit? Do you think I look pretty? And uh, I said, yeah, yeah, you look great. And she kind of just turned her head a little bit, and I, I thought she did look great, and I you know, said, you look fine. And uh, so then she goes back upstairs and, and then comes down with another outfit, and uh, what do you think of this outfit? And um, I said, I think it's a great outfit. And then she went back upstairs, and then I realized there's like four outfits on the bed. And, and she was pretty upset, and she says, I've got nothing to wear. And sarcastically and inappropriately, I said, well, we've got to find out whose clothes are in that closet, because we've got a lot of clothes in there, and something's got to wear. You've got to wear something. And uh, I don't think we went out that night, but, um, <laughs> but I didn't understand the unique uh, qualities that Carol has. And I think a lot of us don't as men. Uh, let me try to, so let me try to get real street practical for you in terms of what's it mean to live with your wife in an understanding way. The first thing would be initiating that, men, you're charged. So this isn't a mutual thing. We tend to, men tend to rely on their wives to be the relational component of the, 
of the marriage, and yet, men, you're tasked. I'm tasked to, to initiate knowing my wife, uh, to pursue knowing her. Now, I, I know many of you men are going to say, I, I just can't understand women. I just cannot understand them. Well, I'm not asking you to understand women. I'm just asking you to understand your wife. Just one. The target's very small. Just understand your wife by asking her questions, by studying her, by, by, by asking her opinion on things, and by, by trying to draw out of her, what do you fear? What do you love? Uh, what is most pressing on you this week? What are you most nervous about this year? What are you most concerned with over the children? I mean, I mean, you're drawing information out from her, that there's this pursuit of knowing her, that you're initiating the conversation. You don't come home and we're just simply waiting to be asked how we're doing, but, but Peter seems to imply to the husband, no, you take the lead on that, husbands, that you get to know your wife. You be the initiator. Probably out of the most common complaints I will hear from godly women in the church is that their husbands don't initiate. They don't. They, they serve in a lot of ways. They do a lot of things well. But, but, but I can't rest in them to initiate. And, um, and so I would just call men that, that you're, you're the ones, you're the investigators. You're studying your wives. And, and I would say this is nowhere more important than in spiritual development. You know, in, in pursuing your wife and knowing where she is with God. Do you know you've been tasked Richard Baxter was a great preacher in the 17th century, and he tasked both men and women, but for our purposes today, he's tasked the men that that you are given to her by God to prepare her for heaven. Here's how he worded it. He says, especially, so in the context of men, you are to be helpers of each other's salvation, to stir up in each other to faith, love, and obedience, and good works, to warn and help each other against sin and all temptations, to join in God's worship in the family and in private, and to prepare each other for the approach of death, and to comfort each other in the hopes of life eternal. I mean, that's what we're called to do. Now, I know when I speak to men on this, there's generally this reticence because they don't feel as spiritually equipped as their wives. They don't know the scriptures as much. They don't feel on par with their wives in terms of the scriptural knowledge. Well, I would say that does indicate one issue that probably needs to be looked at and taken care of, that you begin to pursue a greater understanding of God. But remember, a sense of inadequacy doesn't relieve us from this sense of responsibility, that we can still ask, can we pray together? Even if you may not know as much, what are you learning in scriptures? Or this is what I just read in scriptures. Or you read a passage together, honey, what do you think this means? How do you think this applies to us? So I'm, I'm just trying to get the husbands, you, to move towards spiritual conversations with your wives. To not be passive in this area. And if you want to know, you know, maybe men right now you're thinking, well, I don't know if I'm that passive. Well, ask her. And, and I would ask you women, be gentle. But be gentle. That This is an incremental change that has to take place. There's a lot of fits and starts, two-step forward and three back sometimes, but just ask her. Don't don't finish the day without at least engaging her on, am I initiating in any spiritual direction? And and perhaps I have failed miserably. Then then confess 
to her and to God and ask for grace that you might walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's what I love about the gospel. You know, as Adam prayed, everything pertaining to life and godliness in Second Peter has been granted unto you according to him who has called you by his own goodness and glory. So, so, so move in that, but not just initiating, but also in sympathy. That, that husbands, to live with your wives in an understanding way is to be sympathetic to the unique struggles and pressures that a woman lives under that we spoke about last week. And what I mean by sympathy is that you're feeling with her. That you're enduring, you're bearing, and you're listening. You're listening to what she's saying. Maybe you're asking questions to make sure that you understand what she's saying. You're not listening with, with a plan to fix the problem. That I, I've got a four-point solution on how I'm going to resolve this issue. You know, I, I've been so guilty of that. Carol has dozens of time said, please don't try to fix it just yet. I just want you to understand what I'm saying. Uh, that, that the pressures of, of um, body image or the pressures of comparison with other women or the pressures of parenting in this culture. You know, do we hear, are we sympathetic or are we harsh and quick and clipped com- conversational tones where, where we're, we're enduring to get to the end? Husbands, that's, that's an area, are, are you sympathetic? Are you sensitive to them? Ask him. Ask him today. Do, do you feel that I'm, sensi- that I'm sensitive to the struggles that you have? And then again, y- you may need to brace yourself uh, for the crash and the impact, but, but go through it now. I, I, I'd rather, like I told Carol when I was asking her, where am I failing in this passage? And of course she said, no, you do it perfect. And uh, I said, okay. That's fine. No, I, I said, you need to tell me. I don't want f- the Father in heaven to instruct me on this when I see him. I, I want to hear it now that I can repent and make amends, seek God's spirit to change. So, th- so there's initiation, man. There's sympathy. There, there's also collaboration. You know, t- to living with your wives in an understanding way means that you understand her, your, her gifts, her strengths, the wisdom that she has, the counsel that she can bring that we're collaborative, we're asking them for input, that there is no place for unilateral decisions, usually, in a marriage. I, I, can't, I don't know in our 31 plus years that there was a unilateral decision made. It was collaborating. It was drawing the wisdom, drawing the insight, drawing from her experience. You know, you kind of get the facts of a decision and you talk about various alternatives about how to fix it or do it or move through it. And, and then you try something. And then 60 days or 90 days, you review your decision. You may backtrack, but you're doing it together. You know, that, that there's a sort of coming together. You're living life together. And to live with an understanding wife without drawing her wisdom and her sensitivity to the situation is really going into it with half the team. And, 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 then, and then fourth, I would say this, and ask your wife, ask her, do you feel that I draw you in? Two decisions. Do you feel like you're part of the decision process of where we're going as a family? Do you feel that your opinion has value? Do you feel like I ask for your opinion? And, and then a fourth opportunity here in living with your wives in an understanding way, uh, to live with them according to knowledge is to be tender with them, to be tender, to be gentle. You know, I always hesitate whenever I preach on 
uh, roles for husbands and wives, then I'm calling the women to a submission and to respect. Uh, and then I recognize that many times husbands can be harsh. They can be unyielding. They can be uh, controlling. A- and I'm sending the wife, I'm calling her to obedience uh, into a situation that, that is going to be made very difficult now and, and, and very hard to move into a position of weakness and vulnerability when she may not feel protected and encouraged in her, in her yielding to the husband. And, and men, to live with her in an understanding way, t- according to knowledge, is to move towards her with a gentleness, a tenderness. You know her language. You know her body language. You know what she says. That you're sensitive. You're taking cues from what she is displaying to you on her face or, or when there's tears filling up in her eyes. You know, the passage that Jeremy read today from Matthew or from Isaiah 42 is where it came from. And he says that Jesus was gentle. I mean, a, a, you know, a, a broken reed, a bruised reed, he won't snap off and break. He's not harsh with it. That Even though the thing is already bruised, he will not break it. Or that wick in the candle that is just beginning to beginning to die that would be easily extinguished by just walking by it, he doesn't extinguish it. So gentle is he. And and that's the kind of gentleness we are to have with our wives. And and, in no better place, really, than even our intimacy, our sexual intimacy. You know, God has given us, men and women, within the covenant of marriage, um, this beautiful gift that is to strengthen and seal our union. And our intimacy is really an act of self giving it's not an act for self-pleasure and, and and for for us to live with our wives in an interesting way is to be is to be gentle and sensitive seeking to serve them seeking to care for them you know y- you can't see in this kind of idea likewise husbands live with your wives according to knowledge you can see no harshness there you can see i mean there can be no excuse for verbal abuse or for physical abuse, or for sexual abuse. You can see nothing in that. Husbands, live with your wives according to the knowledge that you have of them in gentleness. If we don't take this path out, then we tend to live with our wives without knowledge or in ignorance. We don't know the way they think. We don't know what makes them tick. Uh, We're inconsiderate to them. We're not sympathetic to them. We're not initiating. We're letting them do it. They do it better than us anyways, one man told me. I'll just let her do it. No, that's total abdication. It may be effective in the short run. It will not be effective in the long run. And this clearly applies. And, and if that's been the case for you, if you haven't done that, then I really would ask you uh, to, to, to repent, to consider the call that God has put on your life to walk in a way of understanding according to knowledge with your wife. Now, this goes beyond just the Christian husband and the Christian wife. Really, if you're a single man, um, it applies to you. And, And here's why I say this. Because when he says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, the the Greek word for wife there isn't strictly the word for wife, but the feminine one, literally. And so Peter's probably writing to uh, Christian men who are husbands who are leading in households that may have female household servants. And so he's saying, this is how you approach 
all women. Now, not in the same measure, obviously, in terms of the intimacy and getting to know them in the same way, but there's that gentleness, that tenderness, there is that, that sympathy, there's that initiation. And so if you're, if you're a single male, this is kind of a plumb line for you. Where are you on this? I mean, are you an initiating man in relationships? Is there sympathy? Is there a gentleness? Is there a collaboration? And, and, and for those women who are not married, uh, this is kind of a barometer to determine is a, a man that you may be, uh, be moving toward or attracted toward, you know, is this present in his life? This would indicate the readiness or perhaps the maturity of a young man to be married. Now, I, again, you, you have to look at this in terms of his youthfulness as well and that it takes a lot of years to develop these, but there's a continuum is what it is, a continuum. And, and where do you see him in sympathy and initiation? Where is he on that continuum? So I think it's instructive for all of us. So, so let, me, let me just stop here for a minute. Men, do a quick assessment of your souls. Is there, are you living with your wives, moving towards developing a unity? Are you exercising initiation, sympathy, collaboration, and tenderness. This is a good time, a good Sunday. I know there's some good ball games on today, but I, I would say that this trumps in importance in terms of having a dialogue with your wife, asking her some feedback. Ladies, again, be gentle, be sensitive, be considerate, you know, knowing that this is an incremental movement. That's the first instruction to us Christian husbands. Okay, the second one, look with me. In the next line, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel. So he's saying showing honor. Some of your translations, I think, have showing respect. And it's a good word. It can be translated that way. Even the Greeks would say that the husband was to respect the wife. One Greek writer, Plutarch, wrote, Husbands ought to show no greater respect for anybody than for his wife. Now, the fact that that did not play out in non-Christian society was, was consistent. Uh, but at least they saw, fundamental to human beings, we understand a measure of respect is a good thing. I like the translation honor better. It's the same word used back in chapter 1, uh, verse 19, where he speaks about the preciousness. And, and treating her with honor, or showing her honor, it, is, it means literally to assign to your wife a value uh, of great worth, priceless immeasurable, that, that, that this woman has an incredible worth to me, is, is what it's saying, that husbands, you're to show your wife that she is of supreme value. And he gives us two reasons why we are to do this. He says she's the weaker vessel. Now, I, I know if you read this in secular society, there's an immediate groan from this too. You know, this Bible's archaic and it's disconnected to life. Look at it, it can't even speaks in such old language. Well, well, before we just throw this out, let me, let me make sure we know what it's not saying. Okay, to say that the woman is to receive honor from you because she is the weaker vessel does not mean that she is morally weaker. doesn't mean that she's morally weaker. I mean, I, I can testify to a lot of years of ministry that if the women just left the church, the church, we'd be, it'd be a tough go for us. Women lead in ministries, they attend faithfully, they fill up Bible studies, they take notes, they 
they uh, they attend regularly and consistently. So 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 women are they tend to be very spiritually strong. Even Richard Sibbs, and some of you know his name. He was a Puritan preacher back in the 16th century. He says this. He says, for the most part, women have sweet affections to religion. That they off go well beyond men. The reason is religion is especially seated in the affections, and they have sweet and strong affections. Likewise, they're subject to weakness, and God delights to show his strength and weakness, and so he does. That women are very strong spiritually. But also, some people want to say, well, morally they're weaker. She was tempted and fell uh, in the... In the third chapter of Genesis, Eve tempted and, and fell. And I don't think it means morally weaker at all. I, I mean, number one, women are generally the moral conscience of a couple, causing us and encouraging a righteousness even in the face of costs. Uh, some want to say that women are, are, are weaker um, in terms of, well, emotions. And I, and I'm, I don't know about that. Some people say because they're more volatile in terms of their emotions, it puts them in a more precarious position. Well, I don't know that emotion is a weakness. Uh, emo- to be able to emote, to be able to relate, to be able to connect, to be able to be transparent, is that a weaker thing to do? Or us men often can just shield ourselves from what's really going on inside of our souls. We don't talk about it. We don't let anybody in. And is, does that require more strength? I don't know. I think maybe the emotional way is the stronger. It's the path of strength, perhaps. It surely doesn't speak to intelligence or competence or trustworthiness. I mean, look at the strong women of the Bible. I mean, Deborah, Mary, Elizabeth. How about the woman in Proverbs 31? I mean, that's a, that's a dynamite woman. I mean, she is an excellent wife. Well, what does it mean? Well, I don't know for sure. Uh, I, I think it probably at least means uh, physical, you know, just anatomically, you know, size, strength, muscle mass. You know, there seems God has, you you don't have women competing against men in the Olympics. You don't have the NCAA tournament mixed between men and women or pro football or basketball tournament, you know, leagues. There's a clear difference in size and strength. You know, when when the enemy is attacking the village, we don't send the women out first. Uh, we send men out first, that God has made men bigger and, and generally, generally speaking, at least stronger. And, and so when I think he thinks about weakness, he's probably speaking physically. But I think there's a little bit more. I think socially in this time, and even in many cultures now, women have a lower social status. Uh, in this time, laws were tilted to men, that if a man came home and found his wife committing adultery, he without a trial could murder her and just kill her right on the spot, but she could not him. And so there was a, there were a lower rung on the ladder. Men had more entitlements in the law. And you go to many African nations now, and you go to the Middle East, and you see that very much today. It's the same. And, or Peter might also have been talking about positionally they're weaker, in the sense that he's just asked them to submit. He's just asked them to yield. That is a position of vulnerability. And he's saying to you men, show them honor. Give them protection. I mean, I mean, when there's a noise downstairs, we don't alternate. Who goes down to look them out or to find out what the noise is? It's always me going down to verify there's not. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. It was always going to be Carol. No, it it was. It's always me, and it will always be me. God has designed you, Christian husbands, to show honor to them. 
to show honor to them. This is what Matthew Henry wrote, and many of you have heard this at weddings, and, and it's a beautiful thing, and it needs to be repeated frequently, that the woman was made out of the rib, he says. He says this, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but she's been made out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be beloved. So that's the first idea is, is men show honor by protection, by love, by, by consideration, by using this strength for their good, not to threaten or not to cajole or not to, to move toward your direction. But you lead by sacrifice. And then the second thing you see here is um, that show honor to the woman as they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Oh, this is a, this is a big one to me. And and I don't think I dialed into this and except later in life, but he's saying that, men, you are to honor your wives because she is a co-heir of the grace of God, that, that the woman sitting next to you right now, the woman that lays next to you in your bed, is a queen. That she has been entitled to all the imperishable inheritance. It will be hers. Just like it will be. She has the same cross, she gets the same spirit. She's been offered the same promises. That there is no hierarchy in God's gift of salvation. That everything that God has will be given to her, which according to Corinthians, she will have the world. You know, it causes us, or it ought to cause us, to move in kindness and gentleness. At a minimum, you can look at them and marvel what they will be when they come face to face with God. You're going to marvel over that. I mean, that's the future. That's the heritage that your wife has. And so he says, show honor to them. They are going to receive everything and perhaps more than you. So men, it, it, there's an encouragement there. So how do we do this? Well, let me give you again kind of some street level uh, ideas. Showing honor to them would be to draw in to conversation their insight, their wisdom, their strength. That you would, you would give word to their gifts and you would rely on them for the betterment of the family. You wouldn't brush aside that which they bring to the table. Even though it may seem uh, in your mind to be less than. It's probably just pride rattling around in your head. But that you would, you would affirm them with words of affirmation, like Adam, the first words out of his mouth. You're bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He's a poet. He's rejoicing over his wife. Are the words of the, of the writer of Proverbs in 31. An excellent wife, who can find? She is more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will lack no gain. Boy, just that statement alone. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. He says this, many women have done excellent, excellently, but you surpass them all. Has that ever come out of your mouth to your wife? Have you affirmed her regularly? Not, not just around your anniversary, but regularly. And do you do it truthfully? Not mere flattery. They'll see through flattery like a pane of glass. That, that, that you're thinking through, yeah, she's a great girl. That is almost worthless. It's what is great about her. You know, I love her. Why do you love her? I mean, finish the sentences. Put objects to those verbs that you're using. Speak in a way that they know you know her. You know her. 
I, I, would, I would encourage you, you know, George Mueller was a, um, many of you know the name, he ran orphans in England, I think he was of German descent, but moved to England, lived in England, ran orphanages, a man of great faith, and uh, after his wife died of uh, 34 years, he got up and spoke at her funeral, and he said these words, she was God's own gift, exquisitely suited to me, even in natural temperament. Thousands of times I said to her, my darling, God himself singled you out for me as the most suitable wife I could possibly wish to have had. Now, that didn't impress me that he did it at a funeral. A lot of people say nice things about us at funerals. But he said, I said it a thousand times, which meant he was saying it throughout his marriage. Throughout his marriage, he was telling her that. He didn't just save it for the end when she was dead, but he was saying it throughout their marriage. Men, do we speak such words of affirmation over their giftings and qualities and strengths, their personalities, how they serve us, how they serve the children, how they run the home, how they care for us, how they sleep with us, how they love us, how they submit to us? And do we speak those words? Let me encourage you to do that. But then a second example for you would be that showing honor to them would be to embrace their weaknesses. To embrace their weaknesses. You know, weaknesses can be such a point of resentment within a marriage. You know, we just, we get irritated over weaknesses in others. Blind to our own, blind to how they have to accept ours, but we get irritated over their weaknesses, and it's a point of contention. And I would encourage you that showing honor would be to take their weaknesses and to see them in this light, that you've been gifted in certain ways by God as a means to embrace them and better them through their weaknesses. That, that God has given you things for her in her weaknesses. Now, again, this is something that came to me much later in life. Uh, you know, Carol pays the bills in our home, and um, she has grown in it. Uh, first number of years were a bit challenging. And uh, I would often get frustrated uh, at some transposition of numbers and some accounts and all kinds of different things maybe weren't working out well. I was an accountant, and, and I would just get increasingly frustrated. And I'd let her know that. So even though she was doing a service, I wasn't appreciating it. I was resenting her weaknesses and making clear that she knew I was struggling with that. And then one day, and I'm embarrassed to tell you when the day was, I don't know when it was, but it wasn't 30 years ago, um, it dawned on me that God had wired me and uh, trained me and felt that was a world that I feel comfortable in. Why am I acting, why am I not helping her in it? Why am I not taking my gift and using it in an area in which she is not so strong? Just as she takes areas of emotional intelligence and a thousand other ways that she mutes my ugliness and mutes my shortcomings with her strengths. And that really speaks to the, the, the difference in the various um, aptitudes that he gives to husbands and wives. God intentionally gives different aptitudes to us so that we can develop a complementarian, a, a mutually dependent relationship. That's what he's given it for, to help us need one another, that we would grow in closeness. And that's something that that we are still growing in, overcoming. That's a way to show honor. So, so Christian husbands, I, I don't want you to feel like you're under the bus right now. I, I want you to be thankful that the Word of God is instructive to us 
two instructions are to live with your wives in an understanding way. Are your marriages increasing towards an ever-developing unity in all areas of life with the kids? And this way, when the kids leave the house, you know what? It's a sweet time. Not because you don't miss the children, but because you're, you have more time, you have more, you have more energy, you have more ability to enjoy the yoked relationship with your spouse. So are you growing in a unity? Are you acting with a degree of initiation and sympathy and collaboration and tenderness? And, and men, are you showing honor? Ask your wives, how, how often do I speak to what God is doing in your life? How often do I do it? How often do I praise you? How often do I thank you? Just ask her. Again, you may have to brace yourself. And women, again, it's a position of vulnerability now that he'll be coming to you with. So, so be kind and encouraging and, and prayerful. But let's not let today pass without doing this kind of introspection of your relationship. And, and, and here's the other encouragement to do it, men. It says so that your prayers may not be hindered. See the warning there at the end of 7? It's a clear warning. Your prayers may not be hindered. What does this mean? Well, boy, that's another good question. I, I don't exactly know. I, I know it can be one of two things, maybe more. One thing would be at least at a horizontal level that if you're ticked off with one another, if you're treating your wife harsh or if she's just treating you harshly, if you're just at each other's throat, you know, your prayers, that is the idea that that the husband, the prayers of the husband and wife, if that's what your means, uh, that, that they're going to be hindered. You don't want to pray with somebody that you're mad at. Uh, you, you know, you, you're, you're frustrated. The last thing you want to do is go before God. And then you put it under this false rubric of, well, I don't want to be hypocritical. Well, I don't buy that. You know, Carol and I have gone to bed at odds with one another, and we pray. Uh, we pray. We grab hands, not happily often. And when we're, you know, when we're at odds, you know, sometimes things just aren't working. We're not speaking the same language, but we pray. And it's not hypocritical because we often just pray, God, help us through this corner. Help us through this knot we're in right now. You know, I think I'm right. She thinks she's right. And God, you've got to humble us and help us. So, so it may be that, that he's saying that walk in a right way with your wife so that your prayers aren't hindered. You can come together and joyfully appeal to God for mercy and grace. But I would say, even if you're in a knot, pray. Men, I can't think of a more first step to make than you pray with your wife every day, even if it's to read a scripture, even if it's just to say, God, have mercy on us. God, thank you for my wife. Just you come together and you pray. If you don't take anything away from this day, Take that away. That is a response. It's a privilege to appeal to a great God on behalf of your wife. Uh, and then the other, the other understanding or interpretation of this would be more vertical. That I would say men, if we're not living with our wives in an understanding way or are trying to, uh, if we're not showing honor to them, then your prayers may be hindered. I think may mean, and, and I, I think it's just because it says it, that God may not be as receptive to your prayers. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not saying God takes your salvation and puts it on ice for a little while, but I think God, in love, disciplines bad-behaving sons. 
and I, it interrupts the relationship. You know, we, we know in Psalm 66, 18, he says, if I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. So he understands that there's some dynamic of the relationship. Then when you're at odds with your wife, it's a vertical at odds as well. And I, I just wonder, gentlemen, if some of the prayers and some of the ministry you've labored in have been ineffective because your prayers over those ministries have been ineffective because you're at odds with your wife. You're not walking in an understanding way. Wayne Grudem is a New Testament theologian, contemporary, and he wrote this in his commentary. So concerned is God that Christian husbands live in an understanding and loving way with their wives that he interrupts his relationship with them when they're not doing so. No Christian husband should presume to think that any spiritual good would be accomplished by his life without effective ministry of prayer. And no husband may expect an effective prayer life unless he lives with his wife in an understanding way, bestowing honor on her and to take time to develop and maintain a good marriage. It's God's will. It's serving God. It's a spiritual activity that's pleasing in his sight. So Christian men, if you're dry and you're barren in the faith, you feel like God's a thousand miles away, maybe this is the first place to start. Maybe it's to, to take some analysis and make an assessment of where you are with your wife. <clears throat> are you growing in oneness? Are you moving towards a spiritual and sexual and, and financial and emotional unity? Are you pursuing knowing her in an understanding way with all knowledge? Are you moving towards her showing honor to her because, because of God's placement of her in your life and because she's a co-heir? Maybe start there. Repent, repent to her, repent to God. This is a beautiful thing about, about repentance. As one author said, it's like taking out the garbage. We've got to do it every day. And so it, it's not wrong to say, appeal to God. God, your word is like a mirror, and it's revealed to me where I am. And then your word is like a hammer, and it just it, it pounds out of me that which is ungodly. Let's thank him for that. Let's thank him for that. And, and for you Christian husbands that are in relationships that are just so knotted up that you are wondering right now whether it's even worthwhile to move forward, let me encourage you. Don't give up. Continue moving forward. You know, Martin Luther said these great simple words. He says this. He says, uh, the less thoughtful that your wife is being to you, be all the more thoughtful to her. You know, there's this recent data that's come out, both from the UK and the US, on, uh, on marriages that have uh, been self-assessed as unhappy when they have strived to walk it out. Within five years, 68% said that they were happier. Now, they may still have had problems, but they were further down the continuum of happiness. For those who rated their marriages as very unhappy, 74% said that after five years it was better. Uh, the, the idea that <clears throat> divorce creates a pathway to freedom and joy and lightheartedness is just not supported by secular sociological data. Not, not, it's not even about Christianity at this point. It's, it's not even supported by the data that's out there. So, so men, strive for it. Take these, appeal to God, ask for grace. And for those, if you're a man here, you're married and you're not a Christian, you're looking in the faith or you're moving toward the faith, this is a time to earnestly appeal to God, to ask him to reveal himself to you. You cannot do this apart from God's spirit 
being given to you through the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. You cannot do it without repentance and faith. And many of you Christian men are feeling like I've just set a hill that's awful high to climb. Now, we have God, and with God we have hope. And he tells us at the very beginning of the letter that he has caused you to be born again to a living hope. And that's what we have now. So let's just uh, take a moment of silence, and I'm going to close us in prayer. Um, if this has raised up issues for you, then, uh, yeah, th then seek a Christian friend to s after you speak with your spouse. Uh, seek a Christian friend to speak with. Draw the leadership of the church in. This is where we, uh, marriages are not done in a vacuum, but they're done in a community. And so let's just take a minute, and perhaps it's a time of, of conviction. Maybe it's a time of encouragement. Let's just speak with God on these issues.